Jesse introduced us on Xanon a few nights ago as a rival podcast. I resent that. I resent that because it works on the assumption that this podcast is putting up some sort of good fight. in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Which means you agree, right? Well, it's going to take us a long time, Mike, to try and walk all the way to the West Coast to BC to try and fight him for this, you know. That's not what I meant. Anyway. Oh, you guys can walk. I'll fly over. Long flight. Well, what flight are you going to get? <laughs> well, it's an option. one's available. Yeah. Well, not that there's no flight going to Vancouver. Domestic flights are an option right now. Here we go on this Saturday night, December 12th, 2020. This is episode 30 of the Anime Roundtable version 2.0. As always, you can contact us if you have something to say. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address. At AnimeRoundtable on Twitter and Instagram. AnimeRoundtable.com is our blog with full show notes and links, as well as an archive to past episodes. And as always, if you can, leave us a good review wherever you get your podcasts. Good evening once again from Six Points in Toronto. Mike Nicholas with you. Joined by James Austin and Kevin Ng. Mohamed Shamarki is missing in action this evening. We'll get an explanation for him when he comes out of the woodwork, whenever that is. Okay. There is for sure one obvious headline this past week. There's going to be... For us, a second one as well. And we'll get to that in due time within this episode, for sure. But let's start this week by acknowledging some of the stuff that we've mentioned in the recent past and things that have come and gone and our impressions of them, especially stuff that myself and James have watched in the last week or so. So, last Saturday, Japan Foundation New York, as part of the Japan Foundation Film Festival, which has been ongoing and will end this weekend as of this taping in the U.S., did their little online presentation last Saturday, a conversation with Fred Schott and Matt Alt about Mecca and how robots came to rule the world or something like that. I forgot the exact name of the of the panel. Uh, do you remember, James, off the top of your head? I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do remember poor Fred. His uh, skyline of San Francisco was getting a little dark there at one point. Oh, it was, <laughs> they were making it was funny. Well, if you see the video, and we're going to put the the YouTube video up of this of this discussion 
at a point with Fred's image. He was wearing a black shirt. He turned off the he turned off the virtual image of of San Francisco in the background. So you just had a black black background completely, and him with his black shirt. It, Fred sadly looked like a floating head at a point. <laughs> it's a great image, by the way. It's an awesome image. I I just have to say that. And it was an enlightening discussion and fun to watch if you keep up with either either Fred or Matt, as we have the last little while. No, I was just thinking that it's stuff also we've uh, they've touched on before. If you've been to any of their panels or read any of their uh, books and stuff like that, which they also let people know, it's like they are still available if you want to read them. But some of them, there's always some insightful nuggets, especially on the robots part comparing East and West. I remember Fred had an insightful moment, and I feel like he said it at one of the panels we were at, Mike. At one point, you might not have been in the room, but I forget. It was in regards to robots and how they're treated in the West and in the East. And he said maybe religion in, plays a bit of a factor in the back of our heads, maybe even if we aren't religious, where it's like in the West, maybe that's a little too close to the image of God thing and stuff like that. Whereas in the East, they're more accepting and they're letting them do more things that regular people would do. It's not just things that are rudimentary and stuff like that. Yeah, they... I remember putting a note about the shamanistic spirituality of the Japanese people. Mm-hmm. It was in that part. It was in that, it was in that context, and I thought that, that was a really interesting point. Well, someone asked, why hasn't there been as much, or at least a mecha anime... That's been more high profile in recent years. Because they're not targeting and... the kids anymore. Isn't that the reason why? Part well, of they it, yes. Say, they did say, yes, that the market has aged quite a bit. But there was an interesting parallel, they said, Kevin, about isekai manga and stuff like that. And how it kind of, instead of being transported into this world where you're in a giant robot, now you're just transported into a completely different world and stuff like that. And Matt, I know, traced it back to some of what he talked about in uh, Pure Invention, about the lost decade and people going through that era that they just wanted to get out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the, and further to that point, robot anime came. Uh, robot anime's popularity came at a time when Japan was rising as an economic power. The economic bubble, which they mentioned, yeah, mm-hmm. and then. Mm-hmm. Just as you mentioned, James, the decline really came parallel with the decline of the Japanese economy when the bubble burst. So it was truly a reflection of the attitudes at the time. So one argument you start to see in the course of the presentation was these shows were less product moving, and they are to some degree. That's always been the case, the product moving stuff. But they became more and more an identity to the people who watched them. Gundam was probably the big touch point they liked to press on in that presentation. Mazinger Z, just before that, was kind of interesting because... And that was the movie, I believe, they were showing and stuff like that. 
And I think they said that was a movie that was inspired by true event, true events that the person in the construction industry, they wanted to build like the hangar of Mazinger Z and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. you can tell people well, were inspired, just like the big Gundam, that yes. kind of movable one. Uh, is it in Tokyo or where is it exactly? Yeah, I think, or is it Yokohama? I, I don't know. Yokohama. And yes, and, and to the listeners, the presentation was in conjunction with that film festival. And later that evening, there was a movie in relation to Mazinger, to the hangar that uh, James is now referring to. Just for reference, the we kept pressing the film festival a couple episodes ago. But when I looked into it later on, I found out that it's region locked in many respects. The film festival was only being shown in limited areas as of last week and this week. U.S. is one of them right now. And apparently the film festival is kind of a roving thing. So there's a list of territories that will see this film festival in the future. Canada wasn't on the list this time around, but they are set to show the film festival sometime, I believe, in February. We will double check that. And if that's the case, we'll probably bring it up again around the time it happens, because almost certainly that'll be promoted by the Japan Foundation here in Toronto as well. Sorry, go ahead. You can, uh, go ahead. I, I interrupted you, James. Sorry about that. Oh, no, I, I had nothing further to say. But uh, thinking on it, did you watch the one that was uh, tonight, Mike? I didn't watch the one on Satoshi Kon, but I know they had a presentation in relation to that. Yes, they did. Uh, yes, I did. I'll get to that one in a second. I can't really add too much to it anyway, but I will I will uh, get into that just briefly. Uh, I'm just looking at my notes. The, the The panel was called Transforming the World, by the way. Our robots, blah, blah, blah. I'm just looking at my notes from it. I just realized I made notes. Who would have thunk? Japan has developed an attitude that robots can help and benefit society, which is counter to Western thinking. Because, yes, we have mech anime here uh, in, the, in Japan and the East, which counter to Western stories like, say, Terminator or Frankenstein. Yeah, right? and I remember and, they, that was the first line of thought before they talked about religious philosophy, mm-hmm. maybe influencing people. And they also, I remember, talked about, and that was in Pure Invention, the fact of in the bubble era with these mecha anime and stuff like that, they that they were also part of the marketing scheme. Like you'd have the toy and then you could have the anime and stuff like that it wasn't just oh we have the manga and the story and stuff like that mm-hmm. and, and yeah how it and, developed and then how it transitioned to the united states and the US joke about reagan really- of course president reagan mm-hmm. about how he decentralized all these uh laws and stuff like that for cartoons and kids and stuff like that saying okay you can have whatever you want uh, you don't have to worry about it being tied with toys and stuff like that but the irony was at that time, they were all worried about Japan eating their lunch in car manufacturing and all these other industries, but they deregulated this one industry, or as they say, this one area where Japan happened to be able to just swoop in and basically help these American producers get content out to the children to promote toys and their shows, I guess. Yeah, something like that. I have one more note in relation to the whole East-West attitude towards technology and robots. 
there maybe um, it was this point that maybe the West had resentment because they were quote unquote guinea pigs for the industrial revolution. And that this is my quote uh, from my note. They, the West was, was pretty much a guinea pig for their industrial revolution and got to experience the lowest of lows associated with it, as well as the highs. Unlike much of say Japan or in the East, which was late to the game. So they didn't have to see the growing pains of such a thing. So, and I think even today, Mike, mm-hmm. one of the things I would say to add to that is that for today, they just don't have the people to do some of the jobs. So automation is one of the things they need to use just to keep up. And they use as it in elderly need. care. They use yes. it as Fred was showing us a picture of him next to like a bot that was welcoming someone into the store. And supposedly it could do more than just say hello and stuff like that. So. Yes. Well, yeah, that's a part of it. And that that's maybe where some of the issues Japan already faces with its rapidly aging population. And we'll, and I, I know we'll have another point on that in, in a couple minutes. I'm just looking at, at the rest of my notes. Is there a decline in robot anime? Yes and no. We we were sort of touched on that, right? Bursting made for situations for more smart, yeah. But uh, one final note from that is that I, from my notes, was that there's this note about women being a little bit more into mecha anime now. That was the one I was thinking about too, and that was a more recent trend. It wasn't a trend during the bubble era. It kind of happened, like I want to say they were saying. Definitely turn on the millennium and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was in the design, the character designs and stuff like that of all the male pilots and stuff like that they were talking about. Well, it was more like, yeah. And, and kind that, of, in these perhaps, lists, especially in the female ones, Gundam has creeped up and stuff like that. Well, you look at recent Gundam series like Gundam Wing. And that's where I feel some of it. I think that's where it started. started you know what I mean? Like you could see <laughs> the designs in Gundam Wing and stuff like that. That it definitely had a bit of the female audience in mind too. Mm-hmm. It certainly had the type of characters that, that uh, would appeal and then kind of happened again with Gundam seed. I don't know if wings was intentional. Nonetheless, that's what that. it's and, what happened. And I, oh yeah. And, and afterwards I would imagine it played a factor like in double O so okay. I'm guessing, as you would say, the bulb went off in their heads, I'm sure. Because it's kind of, I feel like, that turning point in Gundam in our minds. But it was one of the first big Gundam successes in North America, in my mind, was Gundam Wing. Because they got it on Adult Swim, they got it on YTV and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, and just, just remember, Japanese pop culture likes to blur these things, likes to play with it, and... Maybe that's in its own way. That's how it evolves. That's how a lot of things evolve, I guess. Plays with plays with our assumptions. As I said, a really interesting panel discussion between the two. We'll put up the link. The other takeaway I have from this, and this is more maybe nostalgic to watch, talking with Fred and and exchanging messages with Matt. It's clear how much the two have a respect for each other. 
I know that the two have known each other for years. And watching that panel, we got to see them converse like old friends. The chemistry of the two bouncing ideas off each other was just so much fun to watch for anybody who keeps up with either of these two writers. So just on that alone, it's a recommendation to watch this panel. And they, they, were, they had some levity for sure, Mike, especially when they were both thinking to each other, well, I've went through this. Did I go over time or something like that? And they kept on saying, no, you guys. No, no, you're fine. Time time keep talking. We can talk forever. <laughs> and, and, then, almost squeezed out the, and almost squeezed out the moderator and the um, actual panel discussion afterwards. Because the format of these things is they do a recorded presentation first. And then whatever time's left, they'll do the, they'll do the discussion. They'll do the Q&A, which is live. It, it's a hilarious format. And as I said, worth watching. And... As I said, this is an ongoing series from the Japan Foundation in New York and somewhat related, but not related. This was part of the film festival, but they added a separate series going on concerning Japanese pop culture as a whole. And earlier today, they had a panel discussion about Satoshi Khan. Remember, this is the 10th anniversary of his death. Most of the discussion there, and it's kind of blurry in my mind because I was half asleep when I was watching it this earlier this afternoon, it was a pure academic discussion about Satoshi Khan's influences and his lasting impact on movie making, generally speaking, not just in Japan, but maybe generally speaking. And it talked a lot about his techniques and his influences. There were three presenters, and each of them talked about various aspects of his life, whether it's his actual biography and background, his influences, the people he influenced, and specific techniques when it came to each of his works. And I think they also want to put a bit of a spotlight on some of his lesser-known works like the short films. Everyone knows about his four features. Everyone knows about Paranoia Agent. But then I kept hearing about titles that I don't remember hearing about before. Uh, we'll put that a link to that one up as well. It's a YouTube video. It's been it's available right now, too. I wonder if they mentioned, that. Mike, any of his early uh, manga titles when he was did. in uh, manga. Did. And some of those, remember, we were introduced to Satoshi Khan through his films and through anime, but he had done manga before that. And it wasn't really till after his death that we finally got to see those mangas released through Vertical mm -hmm. and through Dark Horse. And it was really interesting seeing them. And he was doing these like in the 80s. And I can't remember if one of them might have been from the early 90s, but most of them are from the 80s. And you could just feel the vibe. I was getting it like you would get from watching Akira and stuff like that. But it was still fascinating to read those and stuff like that and seeing the beginnings before he went into the actual anime and filmmaking part. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as I said, you get to talk, they talk about the evolution of his work and his impact and what they felt he could have still been able to do had he lived. And it was interesting in the chat in the chat, obviously, you had a lot of people who were fans, and a lot of the people commenting seemingly were commenting from a purely filmmaking standpoint as well. 
not just as a, as an anime or manga fan, which I found really fascinating. In that chat, I relayed the story that I've shared with you guys here in the past about Junko Iwao, the voice actress who visited us at Anime North two years ago and played Mima in Perfect Blue. And I relayed the story about the the fan who asked at her Q&A about her memories of Satoshi Kon and the fact that she went on about how how he appreciated his input and how he felt that he drove her to be a better actress. And then the more nostalgic note about the fact that she's friends with Satoshi Kon's widow now, and they're very close, and they regularly talk. And people in the chat were interested to hear that part of the story. It's a two. It, some want to hear, want to see if there was an actual recording of her Q and A. So, if anybody from Anime North is listening to this, let us know. I know that there are fans who would be curious to have heard her words, as she said them. Okay, just moving on quickly, and then we'll get to the top stories. One more thing I want to mention. And I apologize to the listeners in advance, both of you. Ongoing joke, right? I won't be able to carry the discussion too much about our top stories this week. And one of the other reasons, my other excuse, aside from the all the other uh, panel videos that we've just mentioned, watching them, I was also watching the film festival being put on as a joint presentation from the Japan Foundation Toronto, the Japanese Embassy to Canada, and the Canadian Film Institute. We mentioned that in the last episode. They were showing two movies, Koshien, Japan's Field of Dreams, and A Long Goodbye. I watched both of them within the last 24 hours. I just finished watching Koshien actually in the last hour before we started taping. And that, that has had my attention over the last little bit. So I apologize if I'm not totally prepared for the discussion on the other stuff a bit later on. I will, however, say by the time this goes up, and this is this this film festival was exclusive only to people in Canada, but by the time this this goes up. Chances are the window to watch these movies through this film festival will be gone. I know that that Koshian Field of Dreams is available on ESPN Plus in the States. If memory serves me right, give that a watch. Tells the story of two baseball coaches. Mizutani, who who's the coach, who's a high school baseball coach in Kanagawa Prefecture. And his protege, Sasaki, who is a high school baseball coach in Iwate Prefecture. And how the, the story of how the protege kind of became better than his teacher. Because uh, Mizutani, first of all, the teacher, only managed to get to the final baseball tournament, the Koshian itself once and Sasaki not only has he managed to get to 
his teams to Koshien multiple times, he managed to win it three times, I believe. And on, and on top of that, some of his former students are Major League Baseball players like Shohei Otani and Yusei Kikuchi. So it's a really kind of sad story, too, in many respects as well. And on top of that, we also find out that Mizutani has sent his eldest son to Iwate to learn under his protege, Sasaki. So it's a really interesting story to see the trials and tribulations of these two coaches as they try to lead their teams to what would be the 100th Koshien in 2018. Really, really well done story, I thought. And it looks like something out of a baseball anime or manga like Touch or Princess Nine. A worthwhile watch in in that sense. Um, I could go on and on. Maybe we'll save another time to talk a little more about it. The other movie, and I want to briefly mention that, is A Long Goodbye. It has the potential to be a tearjerker. It's the story of a man who comes down with Alzheimer's. And we watch the, his long goodbye, as they call it, the last seven years of his life, as his wife and two daughters start to deal with his decline. It's a rather humorous story because during his decline, we watch his random memories pop forward. And some of them are memories that his wife and daughters had long forgotten. But then obviously, we ultimately know where it goes and we see how his, his loved ones eventually deal with it. Perhaps of note, and here we're gonna, I'm going to quickly play a Six Degrees of Separation between some of its stars and anime and manga in the next couple seconds. Because perhaps of note to fans here are the two actresses that play the daughters. Yu Aoi plays the younger daughter in this. Fumi is her name. Yu Aoi is probably one of the top actresses in Japan right now. How she connects to us as anime fans and other and otherwise uh, Japanese pop culture fans is maybe is through two ways. Her husband is Ryota Yamasato, who is the uh, Simon Cowell of the commentators on Terrace House. He's the especially sharp one, the especially cruel commentator you'll see on it. This is his wife. And uh, many in the uh, entertainment world, I think, have yet to figure out how the two ended up together. But they've been married for a couple of years now. And her other noteworthy role is that she is in the live-action Kenshin as Migumi. That's in the news this week because I think the first trailer of the final arc of the live-action Kenshin came out earlier this week. We'll put a link to that as well. Yuaoi is Migumi in, in that movie. The other woman I would like to mention is Yuko Takeuchi. She plays the elder daughter 
Mari. Unfortunately, Yuko Takeuchi made news for all the wrong reasons a little over two months ago when she passed away on September 27th, apparently taking her own life. She was found by her husband, Taiki Nakabayashi. I'll talk about her husband because that's where the link is. Ms. Takeuchi is probably more well-known to American viewers because she had the lead role in Miss Sherlock. I know that's available on Hulu and that's available on Netflix and a lot of other regions except Canada. And I'm curious to watch this now, considering her performance in this movie. Her husband, Taiki Nakabayashi, he was a punchline for us 12 years ago because he won an open audition to play Godai in a live-action version of Maison Koku back then. That was his breakout role. And it was also noteworthy because of the woman who played Kyoko in that live action. It was Misaki Ito. And she had just come off of a high plane Hermes in the live action TV series adaptation of Dencha Otoko. So our condolences to... Mr. Nakabayashi and Yuko Takayuchi's friends and loved ones on their horrible, horrible loss. Like I said, six degrees of separation for anime and manga fans in those roles. So on to the news. To the surprise of absolutely nobody, word came down this week that Sony will, in fact, acquire Crunchyroll for just under $1.2 billion. And with that news comes, well, waves of speculation, a few happy comments, probably more trepidation and dread. James, I know you're better at rationalizing this than I am. Where do you want to start on this? Well, I guess we could start about how to properly do a fucking like press release when you have one of these acquisitions or mergers happening. <laughs> if you want to compare it between Crunchyroll and Funimation. So Crunchyroll just put Crunchyroll and Funimation Global Group, and then they put the quotes from their people on Funimation and stuff like that, and the Sony people, and then linked to uh, the press release. But the person who decided to do Funimations on Funimation site put the thing Funimation Global Group to acquire Crunchyroll fans win with exclamation mark. And I'm like, really? And people caught on to that too. That's just not professional on any stretch of the of the imagination the rest of the story is fine but the the that headline is just unprofessional like everything else is fine but it's kind of crazy that you could do that hmm. i i would not say it's fans win exactly some people will say that but you never say that in uh in a headline in the headline yes 
in the press release itself and some of the details, maybe you can start to put your spin on it, I, I suppose. So I, I, I get where you're going with how bad an optic that looks. Usually uh, when you have a story like this, it's like dry and stuff like that. But I guess you kind of understand the sphere they're in, right? Like they're in the entertainment world and stuff like that. So a lot of the times they'll try to put a fun spin on a headline, stuff like that. But this is one of the times where you got to put away uh, the fun spin in the bag and just have a professional bland response and stuff like that for your headline. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? I think there was... No, not necessarily to be fair, but to be critical, surely they had kept up with the buzz that had been going on about it from consumers. And obviously they should have known that there would be some concern from consumers concerning this. Try saying that three times fast. And they should have known that too, of course, as you said, because some of those, if you want to call them leaks or kind of the murmurs coming out of them was probably to drum up interest, any last minute interest to say, is there any other buyers out there for Crunchyroll from AT&T probably? Because obviously this was the best they were probably going to get, but they were trying to kick the drums maybe to see if Universal or anyone else was going to get them. But for the price they finally got, I don't know how you could get any higher. Like, 1.175 1.175 billion US in cash. And Guaranteed. that's oh. a lot of money. Well, probably not that much considering they're trying AT&T is trying to pay off its debt, but it's still a lot of money, I think, oh, for yeah. your own stuff like that. Mm, you know a, I mean? Especially when you think of the journey, right? From pirate site to Oh, well, Crunchyroll's plight, right? All from from being where it was all those years ago during the when we were in version 1. Mm-hmm. to now and starting from the bottom to where they are now <laughs> yeah it's a good spot it's I guess a good there's spot. other things too when you look at because sony i know had uh, some things that were taken from them and wikileaks uh, put them up for emails and stuff like that and there was an email in regards to crunchyroll back like i'd say seven eight years ago about them possibly acquiring them and the executives in that email chain basically said oh no no uh they don't have they don't need crunchyroll stuff like that they don't have the members they don't have the stuff we have for anaplex or for um crackle and they kept on mentioning crackle and stuff like that and i'm just thinking to myself well they might have the numbers now but i said they had like you had to look at more than that and that's basically what they got from TV Tokyo. They had Naruto. They had the longer game in mind to grow it. And we've seen that over the years. But we saw that over the years and it culminated with our discussion back in the summer about Sony recalibrating their, Mm -hmm. their focus more on the anime fans. This is, I mean, this, this move obviously makes a lot of sense for them. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't, the numbers obviously didn't look as great back then, but you look at them now where they say where they're at, as this deal is coming to fruition, basically 3 million subscribers. So those are people that are paying for subscriptions for Crunchyroll. Yeah, then me they and have you the 90 them, right? million registered users. Mm-hmm. And then they actually mentioned they have 50 million social followers. Take that for whatever grain of salt you want. But people do look at those numbers and that's pretty impressive growth and stuff like that. And that's with 
the big tent poles. They've went from Naruto. They've gotten Attack on Titan and many other ones. As I said, on many levels, this makes sense for Sony to want to do this. Well, let's start looking at both those sides because obviously that's a big part of the discussion. Just to, as I said, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it and rationalize it to some degree. Well, it'll be a long time before we see any changes anyway, Mike. So I think we can rationalize for a very long time at least. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's fair too. I think one of the, what was the line from? Uh, what was the line that I kept reading uh, from there? It was from the Polygon article, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, over time, bo- um, over time, they Funimation and Crunchyroll found themselves more on production committees. Right. That was par- a big part of it. We've talked about this before as well. And we've seen that really ramping up the last two anime seasons with the Crunchyroll originals and with Funimation, Colin Decker, uh, their general manager. I think they're now calling him the CEO of the Funimation group. Basically, his name is in the opening credit, so he's their representative on the production committees for things like Grace of Gods, for example. Mm-hmm. And wasn't... I'm trying to remember, um, and I got my names maybe mixed up. Funimation's current GM used to work with Crunchyroll, right? I believe, yeah, he, I can't remember which, if it was with Crunchyroll directly, but I remember he was in media and stuff like that. So he definitely has experience in the game. So mm-hmm. he's not new to this by a long shot. So he definitely, I guess, would help him. And yeah. I, I, we'll see as it continues because they've still been going, I guess, strength to strength. I think the real test and what they were trying to do and probably Crunchyroll will help them depending how they want to move them in with uh, their other assets like Madman and Manga UK and everything like that is the English side is pretty straightforward. It's the non-English side, which is the question mark because Crunchyroll has had a bigger head start on that on the subtitle side and on the dubbing side for things like uh, Latin America. We're talking about Spanish speakers in South America and Central America and Mexico and Portuguese uh, speakers in uh, Brazil and stuff like that. And then even in Europe and stuff like that, or Germany and that German. Yeah, and there's a fear that that could be fucked up by this uh, because of the way Funimation has handled it in the past. It's like they haven't, see, that's the thing is I can see where some of that comes from. And that's because they haven't really done anything in those other regions even sentai has been only starting on their spanish side and stuff like that to get spanish dubs and also portuguese brazilian and spanish subtitles onto their high dive streams and stuff like that so it was only just recently it was a very slow process because remember we talked about maybe a few episodes ago about them going into making that big announcement about mexico and brazil for funimation Mm -hmm. So maybe that means basically they're going to use Crunchyroll as their springboard uh, outside of the English-speaking world. And that may be the branding for the rest of the world for them. And using some of those resources and contacts Crunchyroll made with uh, non-English speakers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And they could do that. And, and it's still feasible because one side could have that. And then for the English speaking side, it's a question mark of 
who's going to be the bigger one? Is it going to be Funimation or Crunchyroll? That because I don't think the two coexist. I, I could foresee one. We could foresee one of those names being phased out in some form. And I don't see it being like Australia and stuff like that because I think I want to say Funimation might have been there, but it wasn't really there compared to Anime Lab, which was their big streaming thing that Madman handled. So that's why they kept Madman, like the Anime Lab, there for Australia, New Zealand. Right. But I know in the UK and stuff like that, it's definitely they have increased for the English streams on Funimation and stuff like that. So they could probably keep Funimation there for North America and for English speaking Europe and stuff like that. So by that token, could you see the Crunchyroll name being phased out in North America? I don't know. And certain things they might be able to keep in other things, as we said, like events, I think you could definitely keep because Crunchyroll as well also was more out there doing their own conventions. Right, like conventions, mobile. To uh, Funimation, that the mm-hmm. only one I can really remember is they went out to conventions, but they didn't hold their own convention till this virtual convention this year. Mm-hmm. Crunchyroll Expo. And further and- to that point, they had started to branch out a little bit more into other types of publishing, like doing manga, albeit online, like translating mobile games. I don't think you can ignore the Crunchyroll brand. It's... I could see it sticking around. Okay. I'll point taken, but could it be phased out in terms of the streaming service? See... It could be used among other... uh, on other, other... like for other platforms, for the purpose of other platforms, Sony wants to promote within North America. But the but thing is, I think no, Crunchyroll would be I, how I envision this is that they would keep Crunchyroll as the streaming platform. So you could see Funimation being the one that come, that's disregarded. Well, no, they they would still release their physical media under Funimation. And that's the thing, too, is that they can do the physical and all that stuff, so it's no problem on the Funimation side. But for their digital things, they are releasing their digital codes under the Funimation streaming platform and stuff like that. So that would be another factor. But I think the only way they keep them both together is what they did when they were just having that partnership, remember, which was subtitled-only content on Crunchyroll, uh, content on um, Funimation. Mm-hmm. And, but and then they'd have to change out. their pricing structure all over again, back to similar to what it was, because it was less, because one was doing just dubbed, the other was doing just sub. Yeah. All right, so where's the win that was so promoted in that headline for the consumer then? Well, the win that I guess some people thought they saw was that, oh, I won't have to pay an extra money for two uh, streaming platforms. And then the other one we hear, and that's more the American-centric voices we're talking about, was it VRV or whatever, where some of those streaming platforms were under one platform and stuff like that. And it used to be Crunchyroll, Funimation, Boomerang. Uh, there were a few other uh, Warner stuff, but who knows if that's going to survive since they're now going to Funimation. At the moment, VRV is... High Dive, Crunchyroll, and I think Boomerang and a few of the other ones. I think Rooster Teeth was another one as well. 
but mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that'll play out since they're going to Funimation because some people were doing that in the States, but that's only available there, not anywhere else in the world. So I'd say a good portion of your subscriber base is, well, whatever. Hmm. See, put aside what it could mean for the industry, and we'll get to, we'll speculate on that in a couple seconds. What's in it for the, what's in it for us as viewers? Just on its base, I made the joke. Maybe they'll finally add offline viewing at no extra charge for Crunchyroll subscribers. Considering what they think of just trying to get the streams out there for people and the problem people have with both uh, platforms and that competition will be less, as we talked about nicely on Jesse's program, it's going to be a fat chance they're actually going to improve the platform that they're supposed to be delivering the content on or any of the applications, whether it be on PC, mobile, or consoles and stuff like that, which is Mm going to be saddening, especially since there are voices out there with legitimate complaints on uh, their streaming quality on both sites. Yes. So they want to hammer in the win for the consumer, I guess to just keep keep the bar low or whatever. And then the other question, I guess, that maybe is kind of a benefit is more on the Crunchyroll side is they have been getting more into dubs and stuff like that, but a lot of the stuff they haven't been able to get out to physical media as quick as the competition and stuff like that, because they've had to do partnerships and they just had the partnership with Sentai, which is getting a few things out quicker and they've done some stuff with discotech. So now they're back with Funimation, which will be the main one. So maybe they'll get, more of the content out there and it'll be interesting to see if more of it will get dubbed as well because not mm-hmm. everything they've released season to season was uh dubbed i'm thinking of was it yesterday the one yesterday is me or the one with uh, the girl and the crow that one did not get dubbed and stuff like that and that would have been a fun one to see and it's a question mark of okay will they do sub only releases physically for funimation because they don't they have done in the past but it's very few and far between. That's part of the discussion. The other part, and I think this is the line that caught my attention in the Polygon article. Okay, it's the second last paragraph. However, with that suddenly no longer the case, as in streaming rights, there shouldn't be much of a change in the short term aside from consumers potentially only having to subscribe to one or two services to simulcast new shows compared to four or five a few years ago. We just debated that. In the long term, though, The Crunchyroll Sony deal has the potential to shrink the number of and the budgets of future anime productions. But given the valuation of the acquisition and the growth of the market over the last few years, it seems likely new players will step in to fill the spots once occupied by Funimation and Crunchyroll production committees. Although the only place you'll likely be able to watch their simulcasts will be on Funimation Crunchyroll. I thought those last two paragraphs were an interesting line. Yeah, no, there's some interesting thing on the business side. Like it leaves a lot of people in some tough situations. Of course, the employees of both Crunchyroll and Funimation, because certain people are maybe let go and stuff like that, depending on how they want to play out their deal, right? And where they want to make their cuts or merch. Yeah, I tend to think that's an inevitability. Because they have to, they have to streamline and make the operations leaner. So there will be movement 
And the employees there will probably have to move based on where they think the puck is going to be passed to. And where I think, they think a lot the of it... focuses in all of this will be like, like the other, la- like the dubs in other in Latin America. Yeah, I think a lot of it'll be in the English side. Like if they have other languages, they may want to put those to use because there'll be a benefit to them and people's knowledge of being able to get that done more specifically. They want to continue on events. I think Crunchyroll will be the ones behind those events and stuff like that if they mm-hmm. ever get back to physical events or anything yeah. of that nature. And I know maybe I've just made fun of it a little bit, but we are talking some people's livelihoods. And you have notable commentators on social media this week, people like Lindsay Loverid, like Justin Savekas, like Mike Tool, who expressed concern for friends who work for both companies. And in many respects, these are probably people who helped get them these jobs. So you have, you have people expressing themselves here who are expressing concern for their friends. And that's only human. And I'm sure they're thinking about their friends and some of the other companies too, because with this mega merger, as we said, they'll still be on the production committees, but they're going to get all the big shows probably and stuff like that. And where does that lead the competition? It might open up uh, opportunities for the B titles, for Sentai and stuff like that. But then the thing becomes, they're probably mostly going to be on their service, High Dive, or some of these other companies will have to go to other streaming services because will they still allow them to have their content on Crunchyroll and, or whatever they decide to go with Crunchyroll or Funimation going forward because they have allowed the competition to stream on their sites and stuff like that. But will that continue is a question mark in my mind. And that's further down the road, obviously. And maybe if this grows a little more, we'll probably see another player really rise to the occasion, so to speak. I mean, let's talk about that for a couple seconds. I mean, in the long run, right now, as much as anime is the center of the universe of its fandom, i.e. us sometimes, it's not that big in the, in the long run. This type of consolidation, I think there was this feeling that there was a certain degree of inevitability to it. Even though a lot of people like the idea of competition, it's competition. It could be really competition for crumbs, couldn't it? And that's why people are saying, well, oh, they're just going to rubber stamp it, but they don't look at it as a niche for, uh, well, we would say the competition committee up here, but it would be uh, the FTC or whoever does it in the States. But it's like they're looking at the whole ball of wax. They're looking at Netflix and Amazon Prime and all this. So there's so many streaming services and everything. So that's why. It's going to go through, probably sail through, no problem and stuff. Yeah, this is your this is your specialty channel among streaming services. If you still want your mainstream channels, you still got them. Sony may have a offering still. You still got your Disney Plus. You still got your Hulu. You still got your Netflix. You still got your Amazon Prime, and they'll have libraries themselves. They they have good they have decent ones actually, and Netflix is still getting a little bit more into it. Maybe somewhere along the line, maybe you'll still start to see a little bit more, a few more specialties come up and rise. Although there is this part of me, and now that this sale's going through, maybe I can mention other names who I thought would have been cool if they made a play at it. 
Like privately to you guys, I've always said, wouldn't it be interesting if Rakuten made a play? Because they specialize in Asian dramas, specifically K-dramas. But they have a weird structure in, in all and of itself. But they, they, it's not as if they don't, wouldn't have had money. Because that's a pretty mm. well-off company. And let's come back to Warner for a second. Just because they just sold their anime business doesn't mean they're out of the game. They just needed the money. But they got resources to get back in the game if that's an interest to them. They have, the brand, they have brands that have helped them in the history of fandom. They have Adult Swim. They have Toonami. Who's to say they couldn't eventually leverage those names to find an entrance back in in some form? They have structure. They have presence in Japan. Through other, me- through other subsidiaries, of course. But they just needed to lighten some debt. Billion bucks to, goes a bit, goes, doesn't get all of it or anywhere close to it, but it's something. It's not chump change. Possibilities are still there. I mean, we, we can only, we're only judging it from what we see at the moment, right now. This landscape, but this landscape is forever evolving. Because, like you said, James, seven years ago, Sony or Funimation, there was no interest in purchasing Crunchyroll because they thought it wasn't going to be all that. It's kind of funny, too, as well, if you look at it. Remember Sony Pictures Television when they purchased uh, Funimation and stuff like that in 2017, and that's only about three years ago, did that for 143 million US. So it's kind of crazy how these valuations like can change over time, even in a short span, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, Crunchyroll doesn't have the, well, they do through Warner and stuff like that. They could have went through that way to do physical media, but they didn't have the physical media or the dubbing. Cap- well, they could have went through Warner again through there, but they didn't have those capabilities compared to Funimation. But it was the outreach and the eyeballs that they had that made that valuation jump mm-hmm. so high, which is crazy. Yeah. So... The ink is still dry on the deal, and it isn't set to close for some time, from what I understand. And obviously, as this happens and moves forward, we'll be watching with a lot of interest. And won't it be interesting in years to come when we re-listen to episodes and like this one and speculations and what people wrote at the time and see how it compares to where it ultimately goes? But I said this: the move made sense, even if people didn't didn't like it. It's just, I think the shock is gone now. So that's where we are. It's it's an interesting story. I can't wait to just see what happens next. Although, for my money, uh, I'm like right now. I only personally, I only you, I only get a Crunchyroll subscription, so it's all there, guilt free. Oh, right. And as I said, as I said, when we talk about Funimation, there's sort of competition. It's there. And it could actually get more. And, and, and it, that could still increase. There was a report this week that that Funimation's anime 
anime watches have increased 100% too. There's been a good there's been a good increase with that. I'll have to find the article though. And I think the, it was Netflix, I think. Netflix. Netflix, uh, I, I'm sure, has been happy. Well, this goes without saying because we've mentioned in past episodes, they've been happy with their anime initiatives. Mm-hmm. And they, they actually devoted. Yeah, and, and they've actually devoted an entire presentation to introduce, unveil a few more of those. And we'll see that in 2021. But definitely Sony has strengthened their uh, global grip uh, at least on the anime niche and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because as we said, now in the Funimation group, because they've kind of molded them together, because originally it was kind of different groups within Sony that were buying these different anime uh, companies and stuff like that. Now they're kind of consolidating and making use of their power and stuff like that. So you have Australia, New Zealand with Madman. You have anime in the UK and Ireland for the English side, Manga UK, Wakanin in uh, Europe. Um, then now we have Crunchyroll, which is worldwide and stuff like that, along with Funimation, which was still trying to grow on in North America and stuff like that. that so there's a lot of parts that'll be interesting because they were still putting them together. And so it'll be interesting once the engines are going full throttle to see how it looks across the globe for Sony and how it ties in maybe to the video game side with PlayStation and stuff like that because it could really have nice synergy with the PlayStation brand, of course, and some of the of games. Of course, and obviously we've talked about that before. With me putting on my rose-colored glasses, to back to your little metaphor, James, Sony may have tightened its grip on the present version of the anime ball. It did. But hopefully. It did. But hopefully. Hopefully. That ball is about to get bigger, and we'll see how tight that grip remains in the years to come. I guess, because I haven't been talking much on this subject, I will read one tweet from uh, a man called John Cerebella. Oh, oh yes. And so obviously, sad. Yeah. Never thought I see the day that anime is one company. Sony is anime. Wow. Thank you, Internet. Sad day indeed. Glad I was around during the gold. Well, no, he didn't get to cash in at all for John Cerebella. <laughs> he was going to stop at some point, but I forget what it was that drove him, but he said, F it, I'm just going to continue on. And he's kind of still there, but he, we've seen him at Anime North, and he goes to a few conventions. He's a nice fella, but it was interesting. Did you see the tweet after from Justin Savakis, I think? In yeah. Yes, uh, do you have it on hand, James? No, I do not. But it, it's interesting some of the like banter that'll go on on Twitter between some of the people in this sphere, right, or in the different spheres, whether it's gaming, anime, mm-hmm. or everyone's own little hobby or niche, right? Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just I just don't feel like it's the end of the world. I think to fandom, it feels that way. Well, it's not the it's end a of the world at all. Not, nothing close. I get that. But boy, it's just, I just, I don't know. I don't feel the sense of doom here. Ah, uh, I found that's, it. I guess that's my own feeling. What's the line? Let's, uh, then we'll take the break. So, also, uh, John had mentioned 
John Sarabella mentioned, yes, and this was in response to another tweet. It reads, yes, John, as in John Ledford of Sentai Filmworks, was always a fighter, but at this point, game kind of over for new big titles. My prediction, funny bought by major studio in near future. This was on December 9th. And Justin responded, who wants to tell him? Hmm. As a okay. as a quote tweet. There's your and there's the tension about things like this that was supposed to have been revolutionary becoming part of the establishment. Which is sort of a line which is sort of a concept brought in in pure invention, right? Mm -hmm. James. True. Well, if anybody can cash out next. It'd be Sentai would be the next best company to do that, depending on whatever big entity wants to play in this sphere. Well, you have to remember, remember, Cruel Japan put some money in there. So it all depends on what deal John Letterford made with uh, the Cruel Japan Fund. So that'll be the thing, though. Mm hmm. <laughs> Already. Unfortunately, okay. I think, as they say, only one man got rich off of anime uh, in the English-speaking world, and that was uh, Gen Fukunaga. And he got to sell his company, basically buy it back again with some billionaires, sell it off again, and still have a small piece of this uh, small fortune that is now went to Sony. So he is sleeping well, I'm sure, compared to everyone else. Yep. I imagine but so. But hey, that, I, you know what? We, it sounds awful saying last it that point, way, but um, just to say, more power to him. You know what I mean? If you can mm -hmm. do that and you can make the money, it's like more power to him. You know what I mean? That's the way mm -hmm. of the world. Okay. Let's finally take the break. When we get back, we're going to give the coronavirus COVID-19 update for this part of the world here in Ontario and Canada. And then we'll talk about something related down south. That's when the Anime Roundtable returns on the Six Talk Podcast Network. And the podcast now continues. Nicholas Austin Ng, continuing the conversation with you in front of a virtual audience. Thank you again for listening. And online via the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast anime North. Okay, I alluded to it at the beginning, although we didn't really detail it. Us three did a guest spot this week. We returned the favor for Jesse Betteridge's couple appearances on our show over the last year and a half. And we did a guest spot on Zen in Canada that was recorded a couple days ago. And the onset of this conversation that we just had in the first segment was in that episode. I think it'll come out just before Christmas. We'll put a link to it in our Twitter feed when it does. Just want to say quickly, though, it was a real pleasure to do the guest spot on Zanning. So uh, if Jesse's hearing this, thanks a lot. 
But it was an it was, it was an interesting experience to do another podcast. That's the first time I have or spoken on a podcast not called the Anime Roundtable. I think that I know I'm pretty sure that's the case for you also, James. Correct. That is correct. So it was a good thing, a good change of pace for both of us. And it was great that Jesse uh, extended the olive branch uh, to let us come on and uh, talk about some anime. Mm-hmm. And I know it wasn't Kevin's first appearance on Zanin. You've been there before. Long, long time ago. Yes. So, so it was alluded to. And we're being told not to listen to it, which means I'm going to look for it. So the question is, did you use your real name or your internet handle you had a while back? I'm pretty sure I used my name, but I don't recall. It had been so long Mm -hmm. when I did that, so long ago. That's what I was thinking. It's like, oh, man. But it was a real blast to do that. And after the episode comes out, I think we'll talk just a little bit more about what we talked about on that episode. I want to give a little time for that uh, episode to come out. But what came out of it was kind of interesting. So, uh, I'm sure we can talk about it for a bit uh, in the new year, as they say. Yes. All right. In the second block, we have yet to do our obligatory pandemic update here in Ontario. We are... It's still pretty shitty right now, let's be honest. COVID cases have pretty much been on the uptick overall on sheer numbers across the country. Uh, Probably much the same in your part of the world, wherever you're listening. Toronto and the western suburbs, Peel region, are about to enter the final week of a 28-day mandatory lockdown minimum. But with it comes news that beginning Monday, which basically is when you're hearing this, lockdowns will be imposed on York region, which is the northern suburbs of Toronto, and the Windsor area, which basically seals the deal that the lockdown in Toronto and Peel will be extended after they're supposed to end as well, which is on the 21st. As I said, the sheer number of positive cases, at least in Ontario, have gone up, but so have the number of tests. So if you want to take a silver lining, although I, what the hell do I know is a silver lining in all of this, not being a medical professional, seemingly the positivity rates have at least flattened in relation to number of tests done, which is consistently at a daily record for this province. So maybe that's progress in that sense, but really the number the number that I think is more important is the sheer number of cases going down, which isn't happening, and there have been unfortunately more more deaths as well, and the projections are not pretty. But enough about Canada. Let's talk about the U.S. 
and more specifically, a controversy that was Anime Dallas, a convention which happened last week, which has us wondering, why did it happen? Should it have happened, obviously? And word coming now in the past week since then that the president of Anime Dallas, voice actor John Swasey, and his daughter, Dorothy Swasey, who's also a voice actress, were exposed to somebody who had the virus just before the convention. And now everyone else who was in close contact with them have been asked to quarantine and get themselves tested. This has turned into a bit of a mess, hasn't it? Well, I guess it's not too surprising because there were definitely some quote-unquote in-person conventions in Florida. And Florida is its own uh, bubble unto itself, right? Well, so it's like a crazy not state. Surprising that would happen uh, in Texas as well. It's sort of, yeah, Texas is its own issue too. California, uh, but they're impo- imposing some strong measures there. But, like, remember with Florida, I, I, I made the joke some months ago. Google Florida man and then put your birthday down and see what headlines you get. Oh. I think in my case, it was Florida man gets charged after shooting something. I forgot. I should double check. I, should, uh, I know I was going to say, was it Florida man gets shot by crocodile? Oh, I think that's what it was, actually. <laughs> or, yeah. Let me just uh, go ahead, James. Uh, give me your thoughts and I'll, I'll Google that. <laughs> well, just thinking about it, uh, the other question mark was, I guess, about the advice that, and I, I thought it was uh, Swayze was the last name. I, I, I know you said a different version, but I was just going to say I, John Swayze. But Swayze, that's right. I could be wrong. You know what I and mean? What the, and once again, what the hell do I know? But hey, pronunciation, you could go to one end of the earth and it'll be said one way. You go to another, it could be something else, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, Mr. Swayze and his daughter, it sounds like they got advice and they said they quarantined for three days, according to the guidance from a medical professional, and they tested negative. But that is counter to what the CDC in the States says, which is similar to our advice up in Canada, where it's like you should quarantine for two weeks, even in the event of a negative test. So it's just crazy, man. Florida man says lighting firecrackers under child's bed is a prank gone wrong. Okay. That's just as bad. <laughs> which one? Which one? The firecrackers or, or uh, doing anime Dallas? The firecrackers. The firecrackers and the uh, advice that Mr. Swayze got. The answer, the answer is Yes. <laughs> And you know what's funny, we can talk about this too, is the sensible minds that he had on his volunteer board were some of the things we and some of the audience are thinking as well that are counter to the medical professionals saying, you know, John, maybe you should just either take this all online and do it virtually or just cancel it altogether. And I think David Wald and a few other voice actors that have been in many ADV dubs and Sentai dubs and Funimation dubs talk to him and stuff like that. Yeah, Lucy Christensen, another one. A lot of these people 
were on board and then canceled. And then they let people know as well that, yes, they were on an advisory board that was a non-paid position and that they gave their advice saying, we should probably do this event all online. Or if that's not going to happen, then we should just cancel or postpone this event altogether. And their advice was not taken. And basically they said that they were one people, you should not be coming to this for the health and safety of yourself your family and your friends, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And apologizing that they weren't going to be there, of course. But I think one of the arguments was, well, they did it for the vendors and businesses that needed the time at a convention to recover a little bit, recover some income. Yeah. We've been there before. We had that. We've, this is, that's not a new argument. And we've because heard that argument, but Others that have done online events have tried to find the way to help those little guys. You know what I mean? And it's not that big of a difference maker, but at least we're getting some business to these people. You know what I mean? Yeah. You think I know the answer? Come on. (laughs) So what's uh, Kevin's thoughts uh, on the whole Marcius Borg? Ah. That's pretty much it, really. It's just, you know, I'm not surprised. You know, it's Texas. They're one of the states that have some of the worst COVID-19 rates in terms of positivity. And it's just another chapter in the story of COVID-19 in the United States of America. Volume two is coming up. Oh, wait, volume two is being written. Did you want to see their numbers uh, at the time this uh, was happening in December 5th in there? Because it it's just staggering. We talk about our numbers and we make it sound like it's the end of the world. And then you see some of the numbers in some of the different states and cities in the U.S. And it's just even higher astronomical compared to our national averages. It just shows you where... We could be if we left it uncontrolled. They were talking about Texas on December 5th saying an estimated 221 new coronavirus deaths, 11,090 new cases, and that's December 5th. And then they said 14,162 cases per day. Mm -hmm. And that Dallas was basically classified as a trauma service area for the state. So that doesn't tell you that there's a problem that you shouldn't be holding this. That should be your red light right there. No, I, 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 I'd be curious what the per capita number is just for reference here in Ontario, Ontario made new records in terms of number of cases per day, but we didn't get to 2000. Mm-hmm. I don't think we got to 2000. We did get we over did 1900, not. but, but it had been making some provincial bests this week. Then you see 11,000. And that's just a small slice of the U.S., right? So. Yeah. yeah. That Well, you know, we're number one, right? But uh, we'll see how it goes next year. Well, Definitely the first half of next year, I think we're going to still see a lot more virtual conventions. I know. I expect the pandemic series to... Get close to the one-year mark here. 
I know from my pandemic-imposed exile from work will probably get over a year. But I do know that based on the rumblings I've heard from different people who have done different types of events, not just anime conventions, whatever, spring, summer, depending on how they feel, they might try to do smaller scale events. They're going to have restrictions in place for number of people, restrictions on people moving in the different buildings. Probably there would be no people staying at the hotel rooms and stuff like that that are not related to each other. And probably depending on the vaccine situation, if we do have a registry, they are going to want proof that you probably have been vaccinated. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not going to be a normal experience if they do have a physical event. I can guarantee Mm -hmm. you that. And it must be noted, yes, uh, the vaccines have been approved in the UK we got approval here for at least the Pfizer vaccine here in Canada. And I think uh, as we're recording, similar approvals are probably about to happen in the U.S. as well. And now we can I can add a new uh, word to the vocabulary this year for in, in this COVID 2020. Jab. That seems to be a new word referring to people who are getting the vaccine. People are getting jabbed. Learn something new every day, I suppose. Okay, enough about that stuff. There really isn't much else to add, is there? No, I think it speaks for itself, but uh, we had heard uh, things before, but this was definitely a closer look, uh, at least from the anime side on these type of things. But most events, by and large, have done the right thing. It's just been a few events here and there, and... The ones I've heard about have been in Florida and Texas, and that's not to say anything about those states. It just happens to be where they were and where mm-hmm. the organizers were. I mean, I, I mean, there was that fear over it. Was it? It was the New York City Comic Con, right? I think um, that was set to happen. There's one in Southern California as well, yeah. a Comic Con of some sort, yeah. and that one ended up getting canceled too, even though they thought somehow they were going to do a December. Uh, date and that was a couple of months ago but smarter heads prevailed so mm-hmm. jp get your second edition of anime lockdown ready <laughs> that's really it okay on to some happier stuff i guess actually i had some things to get kevin uh talking with us too uh my sure uh, sure I'll, I'll, a I'll... couple of small bullets before we get to yours you know Okay, so yeah, I know there's something, a few things that caught your attention. You two go. So the first one, which was funny enough, was last night on the Friday, December 11th, Funimation sent out uh, a tweet, and it was in regards to the fact that it had a Nintendo Switch in there. And so this is now the speculation that the Funimation app is going to come to the Nintendo Switch. And the reason why it's kind of important is there are no multimedia apps really on the Switch. There's only YouTube. And the other thing I know that's on there is called um, Inky something. It's like a graphic novel, manga, comic type app that you can read uh, graphic novels and manga and stuff like that on. And they only have a limited number of stuff on. So there's not much compared to the other consoles where they have Netflix, they have Amazon Prime, they got them all, they got Disney Plus, but none of that exists on the Switch. So it's 
interesting that Funimation is even coming to the Switch, and so people were having a good chuckle and laughing about that. And they had, uh, since Sony, of course, owns uh, Funimation now, they were using the image that when Microsoft bought some, brought some games like Cuphead and uh, Ori to the Nintendo Switch, they took the image where it's like Microsoft Heart Nintendo, and then the background is green. They put it to, I guess, the blue and purple of Funimation. It's like Sony Heart Nintendo. Or someone did the thing where instead of the heart, they put the smiley face of Funimation <laughs> in the middle, which I thought was humorful. <laughs> but yeah. oh. well, I'm trying to think a little bit about the history of of streaming apps on Nintendo devices or other of apps generally speaking on Nintendo devices. I'm not as familiar with it. And they had some on the Wii U, but. For whatever reason, this uh, for the Switch generation, they said, this is a gaming device, we're focusing on games. And they really stuck to their guns for the most part. And the thing is, the way the story's done is, it's not split up. So it's just all those apps, if there were apps in there, would be lost under all the games and stuff like that. Even though there's only two I can tell you of on the top of my head, which is a very rare thing in this space. I, I I guess I can understand that we've like Nintendo. There's that argument that Nintendo doesn't go for the technologically advanced; it just goes for the quirkiness, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. sort of what's seen itself through over the last probably forever, really. I mean, you had that with the Wii, you had that with the Game Boy, you had that with the DS. You're seeing that with the Switch. Well, they're not the most. They're not the most graphically impressive they're not the most technologically impressive but they they have a cute cute factor to it they have a friendly factor to it that just makes it approachable by the masses and it'll be interesting to see how many people would uh, watch uh, the funimation app on their switch and stuff like that because as we said a lot of these apps have just become ubiquitous on every device they can try to get themselves on right it's not far fetched. Remember, remember what we said about about the overlap between gamers and anime fans, and and that's probably even more so for for the stereotypical user of the Switch. Mm-hmm. And I do have mine, and I enjoy it. But of course, I watch my uh, shows either on the PS4 or the Xbox One since. Uh, they're the only ones at the moment that have those apps and stuff like that, which is probably me being an oddball because I know a lot more people probably watch it on either Roku or on Apple or on the mobile devices. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a, I feel like yeah. I would still watch all this stuff on the computer still. Mm-hmm. Old school. And that's because, as I've said in the past, uh, we still never upgraded our TV. Not even, living you didn't even buy like a dongle? The big old Sony CRT. Do you remember to put on the eye patch and the uh, pirate hat when you watch on the PC? Oh. oh. Do you know, for me, I I will always try and watch a show legally when I can. And then the gloves come off. <laughs> Sometimes. But, Sometimes. But anyway, that was the one small one, but the one that I know you would probably want to talk about, uh, Kevin, and it's only one of the licenses that Seven Seas announced probably about a week and a half ago, and that was 
they got uh, Lupin the Third, the manga, to publish next year. But there is a bit of controversy on the fact that it isn't the full series. It's Ooh. just a graded hits volume that was released last year to commemorate Monkey Punch's passing. So yes. that was interesting. And it's a hardcover. So it's like their classics line, like Captain Harlick, Devil Man, or Cutie Honey. And those are incredible volumes of manga, incredible quality, hard book, hardcover, and everything. And, and did not do Lupin. well. It would, yeah. It just would have been great if we got the whole series because I know they've released it before, of course. Tokyo Pop with, uh, was it Lupin the Third Most Wanted, is what they called it. But, and it's not as long as, say, for example, Golgol 13, because Golgol 13 had a greatest hits 13 collection from Viz. But that's because that was an incredibly long manga, like over three decades long. And there were a lot of stories with real people in there, of course, as well. And still going. I know. It's like, I wonder what other real people they put in there. Like, I remember reading some of them, and I think they had one with the Bill Clinton being there. They had the one with Nelson Mandela, <laughs> where it's like ne- Nelson wow. Mandela, Gogol 13. It's like, oh, it's just my buddy, Gogol 13 from prison. And <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself, holy smokes. <laughs> I, was just thinking, I don't know how Nelson Mandela would feel about this. <laughs> I don't think he would ever find out anyway. Oh, man. But it's just, maybe if this does well, I'm still going to buy it, even though it's a greatest hits. Because, first of all, it was a commemoration to Monkey Punch, God bless his soul. And the other thing is, maybe if it does well, they'll actually go back and release the whole series. You know what I mean? So. Mm. You know, like, I think with Lupin... There's always a chance because, hey, if this does really well or does well enough, maybe that would give them the justification to maybe publish the rest. But then at the same time, I can see Lupin diehards not buying this because they will say this is just an inferior release because it's not the series from volume one onwards. And that's what some people, like, I saw both sides. I know they were talking on Twitter and other spheres and stuff like that, but I was at the feeling, I'm like, well, I'll give it my sport and hope for the best and stuff like that. And the fan base is built up for so long, and now we're getting a lot more Lupin than we know what to do with, right? So it's kind of crazy how the tide has turned. So you'd like to think this is like one of those high bar classic series that I think people need to read and hopefully uh, we'll get the full release one day. Yeah. When you bring up this, two titles come to mind for me. And that's Golgo 13. Master Keaton. Master Keaton is still a, a, a thing that leaves me shaking my head because it still feels incomplete. We got the whole series, the first series, but when they did that re-release earlier this decade, they did uh, Master Keaton remastered, or it was like Master Keaton something, and it was like a one-volume. Keaton is a lot older and stuff like that, and it was a small adventure he was doing then. And in other languages, like French, for example, they released that one volume after they finished uh, 
the re-release of Master Keen that Viz did release. And Viz has not released the uh, Master Keen Remaster 1 volume, which is kind of sad. Because that would have been nice. So they re-released Master Keen in Japan, and then they had this one volume that he did after the fact. Kind of, I guess, to commemorate the release. Well, we actually got Master Keaton in the end, manga-wise. Mm-hmm. So just the mm-hmm. one volume is just like. I mean, I get to read, release it all. You might as well release it all because other. No, Viz released it all. No, they didn't. They got all the original series, but they're missing that one volume that was released to commemorate uh, that re-release in Japan and all and the that's other all new material. Yeah, that's all new material, and it's oh. just from Urasawa. It's just from Urasawa, because remember, they had the falling out, and Urasawa's name is bigger than uh, the other fellow's name, because uh. Urasawa said in the later volumes he was doing most of the work, and so this one where he Urasawa went back to do Master King, it was just basically him, I believe, that did oh. it, and that was earlier, okay. and it was just a one-volume release. And it was see. like an older Master Keaton going on this adventure, and so he's like... He definitely looks older. He definitely looks more tired, but he still has that jive and that everything else. <laughs> mm. Okay. Well, it's it's interesting news. Like if if that's really stuff you keep up with. I, I mean, I admit I don't these days, but that is still fascinating news, especially the with the Lupin stuff. Okay, well, we're nearing the end of the episode. What's on your current watch list, guys? Or watch and read list? Hmm, well... Like, is there one thing you want to at least uh, highlight on uh, on your queue? I finally have, uh... I have some Demon Slayer volumes in the queue. Mm-hmm. Because I do want to finish reading that. And uh, the final volume of Silver Spoon is also in the queue, which I've been really enjoying. Might actually go buy it now. <laughs> it's, it's such a great read. Wow. Like, I, you know, it's, you know, I haven't been in high school in a long time, but when you see what Hachiken goes through, you just think, man, what a, what perseverance that boy has. And I've actually been reading Twin Speaker. Been reading it chapter by chapter. Nice work. Given, I've been giving Shonen Junai Gumi a break. <laughs> yes, you did mention that last time. James. Uh, let's see. The one I think I'll plug this time is what I was reading. And uh, it actually had an announcement this week that I was ending in Japan. Uh, in the new year in a few weeks and that I guess the last volume will be 10 volumes but it was uh, from Kodansha USA and that was Sweat and Soap and so that's uh, Ase no Sekuten or something like that is the Japanese name but that one uh, is four volumes already in uh, North America in English digitally and physically so I have four volumes and then the fifth volume is going to come out in a few weeks but that one is, it's really just a fun love comedy and it feels real, um, it feels real to say the least. Even though the premise is a bit uh, kind of crazy, it's basically about this uh, lady and this guy in their 20s and how they're both work at a fragrance uh, company. 
And basically how the setup of this budding romance happens is that the uh, lady basically is in um, the lobby looking at uh, the different new fragrances uh, coming up for their lineup. And supposedly the reason she worked for this company is because she has an odor problem. And she loves <laughs> the fragrances because it makes her feel good and stuff like that, right? That she can go about her daily life. And so she thinks, okay, this is great. And then the guy comes up and he's the one who makes the different fragrances and stuff like that. He's on one of those teams and he smells her real fragrance. And that's like, what the heck is going on there? And then it's like this thing of him just getting to her and basically using her as inspiration to make new fragrances and then this budding romance that they have as they go through uh, this and how it goes pretty uh, quickly like they say hey we love each other and then they start to go through the dating cycle right and at the moment they're at the cycle of we're going to maybe think about moving in together and stuff like that and then the next one as we're seeing it they're building up is meeting the parents and i think the first one they're going to meet is uh, the girl's parents so it's interesting and there's uh, like the kissing there is uh, mention of sex and stuff like that so it's a more mature title but it, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's very natural it's not like in your face and stuff like that it's like they're real people developing a real relationship with each other even the part we're at now where they're deciding to move into with each other it kind of comes off like a real thing where he kind of mentioned in a phone conversation, hey, do you want to move in? And then she goes silent for supposedly like five minutes or whatever. And she's like, oh shit, what have I done? And so <laughs> they had this thing where they're like, well, what do we do? It's like, I can't talk to you and you can't talk to me. And they both think they're doing something wrong. But it's just that they have to find that communication point. And then they get that battle to get over it. And then it's like, hey, they start this uh, post-it system where they're post-iting about, well, if we move in together, how is this going to happen and stuff like that. And so hmm. it's a real building. They do these different building blocks of the relationship, which is fun to see. Smells like love. Mm -hmm. I hear it's pretty good. Yeah, it, but I've, supposedly, it's been well yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be 10 volumes. Uh, there are nine volumes already um, for solicitation in English four out already so if 10 is the final volume that might come out by the end of next year too or early 2022 so at, at least you know you have an ending point because sometimes you get into a manga series as kevin knows and you never know when you're going to get out hmm. true mm -hmm. well what's the title uh, one more time what's the title uh the english title is sweat and soap Sounds fetishrific. Okay. <laughs> that's why it's like I mentioned that. It's like that's, well, it's interesting. So that's the English. The French one, how they decided to say it is love fragrance. That's how they went with it. <laughs> Smells like love. I like that name better. Yeah, that, that might have worked a little better. Well, I guess it's because, uh, as I said, it's the thing of you have the guys like who has this nose and really knows this smells is like is smelling her. And then the fact that she has this thing worrying about her perspiration and how she smells. So maybe that's some of why they went. But I agree. It doesn't come off great at first, but it really endures your heart if you actually get into it and read it. Sometimes it's in, in maybe, But maybe it's more to the point in terms of some of its subject matter, too. Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. One other interesting piece of news that came out this week. 
even though it's uh, kind of been known for a while. But we got our taste of the new voice of Bugs Bunny, even though Eric Baza has been voicing him for a little while already. What makes it interesting to us? He's from Toronto. He's from Scarborough, actually, the East End. That was a kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, it was neat, yeah. Yeah, it was neat to know that. And it's just that I think it had been known for a little while already because some of those cartoons have come out over the last year. And he will voice Bugs Bunny in Space Jam. But he also voices a few other characters. I think Tweety Bird is one of the other noteworthy ones. There's one more they mentioned, but I forgot who. Might have been Elmer Fudd, but uh, don't quote me on that one. Put up a, we'll put up a report on that one. I'll put up a link to talk about him and you know the pride of Scarborough on that one. Okay, my my only thing on the watch list at the moment is Great Pretender, since James recommended it to me. The one of the Netflix original animes that uh, we had talked about before. And, and well, he's going to tell me, was it a mistake or not? See, here's my thing about watching shows. And I think I'm probably one of the worst people to ask to do a full review of a show. My only criteria as to whether or not I'd recommend something is, can I personally get through the entire series or significant parts of it? If I could watch a series significantly through, at worst, I can give a lukewarm recommendation. If I can't even watch a show past a handful of episodes, then I didn't, I didn't care much for it, and I can't recommend it. And yes, there have been cases of that. Although fans of Attack on Titan will probably get on my case when I reveal that's one of the shows I, or I'm having trouble really getting past, I think, the third episode. Same thing with Battleship uh, Tiramisu, since um, Neil raved about that a few years ago. Great Pretender, I've had a lot of fun watching, but then again, I was into movies like Ocean's Eleven and Now You See Me, and it has that type of tone. And that's how I mention is it's not your normal anime and stuff like that. And Studio, it's a great animation studio, but it's... Like they basically looked at it and said, okay, we're going to take our talents. But they thought, okay, what is the Netflix audience? And probably tailored a bit of that in there. And it really works. And they also probably thought about maybe the binge culture because they have the four different arcs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. and, and this is the same studio that did Attack on Titan. So, But how were the uh, first two arcs you said you had watched? Oh, they were fun. I mean, there's nothing I have, like, I don't want to spoil anything about them. It's just, like you said, it's about a uh, small time Japanese swindler who and gets taken into by a big time one and finds out he's quickly in over his head. But he deals with it and gets through it okay. And uh, you get the feeling that he doesn't really want to stick with it, but he can't really escape either. And the way he thinks those things through gets him into a lot of trouble. 
as evidenced by the climax of the second arc in Singapore. But I think one of the cool things to me about it is, well, the music too, but notably the closing credits theme song, which was Freddie Mercury's cover of the actual song, Great Pretender, which is a 50s hit. I forgot who the original artist was. Was it the Platters? I don't know. Yeah, it was the Platters, I believe, were the ones mm-hmm. that did that one. But I guess if you're going to name your show that, you might as go well go all out and get something like that. And I'm sure there might have been a bit of collaboration with Netflix on that as well. To, get the, to get the rights, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have the money to do that. And even the opening is pretty impressive, I'd say, like musically and how it comes together. It kind of gives you that feeling of the Bond opening or something like that, or a spy thriller. You know what I mean? Or yeah, and it, it, the better. Like, it, 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 to me, it, it, it mixed, not, not really mixed, but it partly reminded me of the Cowboy Bebop opening in some ways. It partly reminded me of the Archer opening too, for some strange I can see reason. those two. Yeah, that, that, that works as well for a more modern parallel. Mm-hmm. The thing I have to say about I mentioned about the Great Pretender song at the end was it's not this is not likely to happen, but in many respects, in my wildest dreams, I'd like to see Great Pretender become the new fly me to the moon. You know how how Eva kind of elevated that song to another level among a younger audience when it was featured as the closing theme. And then it became overplayed at uh, anime karaoke events. Great Pretender is not going to reach that level. But I look at it in a similar context, too. Maybe I think its presence in the anime may give a little bit more profile to the song itself. And And maybe in turn a little bit more to Freddie Mercury. Not like Freddie Mercury needs it, though. After all, the guy who depicted him in a, a couple of years ago won an Academy Award for that performance. That's just something to think about. So it it's, goes without saying that I'd recommend Great Pretender right now. I, I actually recommended it to one of my cousins. Just saying, well, if you liked Now You See Me in Ocean's Eleven, this is worth a watch. And... I guess that that's the thing. Uh, thing about it now, and there's my fa- there's that fascination with what Netflix is doing with their anime. And I feel like that's the other thing too. Is it's something that I could recommend to anyone, not just uh, people I know that may like anime as well. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's the beauty of it. Yeah, anime for people who don't like anime. Not totally sure that. I'm not totally sure that's a good catch line though (laughs) well people who don't watch anime much how about that (laughs) but yeah that one was easy to get into thanks for the recommendation james all right well we're reaching the end of the show what is it today again it's december 12th so by my calculations the next episode we'd be set to tape just after christmas on Boxing Day. So this is likely our last episode before Christmas. I guess we'll have to do some work and have a good year-end year special 
for next time we're on, won't we? I, I, I get the feeling this isn't our last episode of 2020. Although as much as we'd like for 2020 to end soon. I get the feeling we have at least one more episode and that'll happen during uh, what we call here in Canada, Boxing Week. I think that's a term that's kind of unique for here. Maybe UK too. I don't know. Somebody tell me. I believe because remember they do have Boxing Day in the UK too. So that's why it's transversed over to here to certain parts of Canada and stuff like that. So I'm sure a few parts there use that term now too, not just a, a full week of sales and God knows what else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're, we'll likely hear from Mohammed again before too long. But uh, start thinking about what we'll do for the final episode of 2020, because uh, this isn't it. And there's many events I'm sure we'll take a look at. I know all of us are probably going to take a look at the uh, discotheque uh, event uh, coming oh, up this week on the Monday. Oh, yeah. Yes, there is a discotheque uh, presentation coming up this week on on Twitch. On Twitch, yes. And so it'll same probably way. already be done by the time uh, this gets out there, but that'll be a fun one if people had watched that, I'm sure. It's like so they, they announced 10 announcements, and given what they did last time, it's going to be a fun time for everyone. Yeah, yeah, that'll be worth talking about when uh, we return in a couple weeks' time. But until then, that's it for this episode. This is the first time listening and you liked what you heard let us know our contact information is in the show notes or at the beginning of this episode until next time good night from toronto merry christmas